I love this church. It just does everything right. It feels right. You made a smart decision to come to Christ Community, not only today, but if this is your church, it's a, it's a great place. I live in Southern California, so it would be a long commute, um, but it's great to be here. And I love that video. Um, in fact, Friday night, I showed my wife, it was on my computer, and I showed my wife, and we were sitting next to each other, kind of in a chair that's about that big, and um, all of a sudden, I looked over at her, because I thought it was funny, and then I looked at her, and she was, you know, crying, because it was special. I, I mean, pretty amazing. It's the toughest job in the world. You work incredibly long hours. You uh, have to put up with others, like uh, your kids and spouses, if you have one. No pay. Uh, you have to be an expert in medicine, expert in finance and the culinary arts, which I thought was interesting. I wasn't even sure what that was, and a million other things. Seasons like Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's are uh, extra overtime. You know, it's kind of an insane job. And what, what do you get for it? Today, perhaps a meal and maybe some flowers. But most mothers wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I have been uh, married for 40 years, 364 days. So when's my anniversary? <laughs> Tomorrow. And uh, this is the first time I've been away from Kathy on Mother's Day. And our Mother's Days didn't always go well because we uh, were an infertile couple and we adopted Christy after 10 years of marriage, but those were hard times. Um, now they're incredibly beautiful times. In fact, my kids, I said to them, they're in their 20s now, and I said, look, it, I'm going to be away for the first time. Mom kind of said, go. Go over, you love this church, go to this church. And at the same time, I said to the girls, you need to come through. So I got a text yesterday from one of my daughters, Becca, and the text said, we're going to make it big. And I went, what do you mean? She goes, we're going to breakfast, then we're going to church, then we're going to go to a really expensive lunch. She didn't say that, but I knew the place, and that's really expensive, kind of overlooking the ocean in Southern California. And then we're thinking about going to Disneyland. Would that be okay? And I went, wow. I'm typing back. Wow, great job. Then she writes, A-Y-R with a question mark. I have no idea. You know, I know what LOL means and all these things, but, you know, I'm a little old, so I didn't know what A-Y-R means. And so I went, A-Y-R, what does that mean? And she goes, are you reimbursing? <laughs> They're in their 20s. It still doesn't change. When is that going to happen? I want to introduce you to my mom. Her name is Donna Marie Burns. She actually passed away. The inspiration, the cheerleader, she was about four foot eleven by four foot eleven. Um, incredible attitude, and yet, you know, she was born into an alcoholic home, classic dysfunctional. Her father was such a raging, raging alcoholic. He was my grandpa. I didn't know him. He died when I was nine months old. But my mom, when she was at about age eleven, had to start going into the bars in Long Beach, California, to pick him out on Fridays, or you'd spend the money. So her mom would say, "Go get your dad," because she couldn't seem to do it. And so my mom had a hard life. It's amazing about my mom was that in the midst of her hard life, and she then had four boys who didn't give her enough affirmation, and my father, who was a recovering alcoholic after 20 years, uh, and, you know, just a, a dysfunctional family. But yet my mom had an amazing attitude, and she taught me some things, and I'm going to, probably what she taught me the most. I thought about it when I had the ask. I went, what could I talk about that I learned from my mom, and I went, oh my goodness, you know, my mom taught me, and she said it all the time, some of your moms did this, fill it in, attitude is everything, you got it, let's say it again, attitude is everything, and that's what she would say. Now, that was impounded in my head, but there's always times in my life, probably your life too, that we don't have always a good enough attitude. There was a 
few years back where, um, man, my attitude was bad, and my, I was just going through a tough time. I'm not a person who goes through a lot of depression or clinical depression. I'm not a negative person typically, but what had happened in my life were circumstances. My mom died, and that was a tough blow to me. The most influential person in my life has been my mom until my wife came along, but still, that's been a, it was a hard time. My three brothers went through a divorce. I have three other brothers, and they went through a divorce that year. That was not a good year for the Burns family. Um, the ministry that I'm a part of was struggling with finances. Kathy and I were focusing on children who were teenagers. That should be enough, said right there. I always say that working with teenagers is part joy, part guerrilla warfare. And we were doing that. And that meant that our, our marriage was distracted because we were more child-focused than marriage-focused. And so we had a what I would just say distracted. It wasn't bad. We, we speak on marriage. In fact, I get the privilege to be back here in April to do a Refreshing Your Marriage Conference, which is an incredible event with my good friend Doug Fields, and uh, it's an incredible event that we'll do on a Friday and a Saturday. But the interesting side to it was here I am, you know, standing before you saying that at that time the marriage was going tough, and finally Kathy said, you need to go talk to somebody. That's so why I went to the person who had been influential in my life, his name is John Watson. He was my youth worker. I became a Christian when I was 16, first-generation Christian, nobody else in the family Christian. And John kind of took me under his wings and helped me think through things. And so when I tend to have issues, I go back to John. Today he's a retired pastor living in San Antonio, Texas. I still see the guy. But this particular time, he was in, living in San Diego, and I live in a place called Dana Point, which is about 60 miles from San Diego. And so we met halfway and when I saw him at the restaurant, I was so happy to see him, but he said, Jim, I don't have much time. I'm really excited to have lunch with you, but we're going to have to move this thing right along. Okay. So I shared with him my burdens, um, mom dying, just the life that I shared with you. And he listened, and listening is the language of love. And when I was done, I expected some insight, and instead he said, got to go. Time got away from me. But let me give you the answer. And he took a napkin from the restaurant that we were at, and he wrote down some scripture, and he handed it to me. He said, do you know the scripture? And I said, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, 18. Don't know it. He said, it's your answer. And then he picked up the check, which was nice, and so he paid for lunch, and then he left. I was pretty much stunned. Now, I love the word of God. This is the word of God. The scripture is the word of God. It has the answers for life. Some of you would do much better if you, you know, picked it up more often, perhaps. I know I would. And yet, that scripture, I didn't know, and if, if I have a headache, I don't want you to come to me and say, well, just read John 3.16 and call me in the morning. I'd rather have you give me an excedrin, is what I'm saying, okay? And I thought he was going to give me some practical insight. So I was kind of frustrated. I stuffed the napkin into my pocket. I went back to work, totally forgot about my time with John. Get home, and my wife says to me, how was your time with John? And I said, well, great. He you know, bought lunch. I got to tell him all my problems. She says, well, what did he say? What was his insight into all of this? And I said, well, he gave me some scripture. She goes, wow, what was it? I said, well, I don't know. So I pulled a napkin back out, and it was 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. And she said, do you want me to read this to you? And I said, well, sure. So we're standing in the kitchen, and Kathy goes and gets the Bible. And she read these words that are going to appear on the screen. Rejoice always. I interrupted her. I said, what am I supposed to do? Fake joy? I don't have a lot of joy right now. I mean, my mom died. My brothers are going through a tough time. Our ministry could be tanking. And plus, we don't seem to be doing as good. I'm supposed to be rejoicing and be full of joy? I said, I don't want to be one of those fake Christians who act like they have it all together. Oh, my dog died. Praise God. You know, I didn't want to be that person. 
So Kathy said, do you want me to read the next scripture or not? And I went, okay, read it. And, she's, and I'm not looking at it, so I don't know it ahead of time. And she says, pray continually. I smiled. I got defensive. Oh, great. You know, does John think I don't pray? I mean, I'm not a great prayer, but I do pray. And I'm supposed to give all this stuff over to God, and I've done that. She goes, oh, you're not going to like the next scripture then if you don't like the other two. <laughs> it says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I went, oh, great. Thank you, God, that my mother died. I can't do that. I don't know if you can. You know, you read that scripture, and you know, there's a struggle with that for me. Well, I definitely didn't get something out of that scripture. We went, and I mean, we ate dinner at our house and went to bed, and the next morning, I read the one-year Bible. I've been doing it since 1983, so I've been going through the Bible. It's been a great experience for me. And so I open it up to that day. What did I find? First Corinthians, or excuse me, First Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. This time I read it with a different heart, if you would. And so I read it, and then I wrote in my journal. I could still show you the journal. I wrote, my goal is joy. Now, I'm not talking about happiness. Even in a downtime, I can still be happy, watch a good movie, have an incredible meal, um, tell a joke, whatever. And in fact, even if I'm not experiencing joy, I could stand up before you and I could either fake it or I could uh, be a person who, who doesn't have joy but can still, you know, get, tell a joke or whatever it might be. You see, joy is something that's deep-rooted. And I actually learned this from my mom. My mom was a woman who had deep joy in the midst of some pretty crummy circumstances. So what I decided to do, and I, again, this is, I'm telling you more of my story. It's kind of a simple message today, but it's a simple message that I learned from mom, and it's also a simple message for me, but maybe the most powerful, is that what I decided to do was I decided to find people of joy. What, what was their secret? Who are those people? Even now, when you think about people that you hang around with, some of those people are people of joy. Some of the people aren't people of much joy. My goal is joy. Now, I'm not one who thinks there's cutesy little formulas in the scripture. I think the scripture is the word of God. But the truth is, is that in this, I found kind of a formula for me. And the formula went something like this as I thought about that entire scripture. It went something like this. It said, prayer with thanksgiving equals joy. And so I decided I would start looking at this in a more serious way, and I looked at joy. And I realized that in the Bible, over 500 times in the command for Old Testament and New Testament, were commanded to be people of joy. Rejoice always. And then it says, and again I say rejoice in other scriptures. Be full of joy. And so I found a scripture. It was Psalm 118.24. And I actually said it this morning and I said it yesterday morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. In that scripture, it means I'm acknowledging that God made today. So I'm acknowledging that God is present. I'm acknowledging that he made the day. If I feel bad, if I'm sick, if it's raining, if it's not, if things are being thrown at me, I acknowledge this is the day that God has made. I will rejoice. So in other words, listen to this, joy is an act of the will. We always think that it's just supposed to come from a good something. But life gets crazy, and sometimes life is painful. And what my mom taught me was that joy is a choice. And there's discipline involved in finding that joy. So we rejoice joy through prayer. Prayer constantly. Pray continually, as another scripture says. In fact, very famous scripture. It's found in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And it says, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer with petition, meaning asking, with thanksgiving, underline that, present your request to God. 
So in other words, you pray with thanksgiving, and what's the result? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Joy and peace, it's possible, not always, 24-7, 365, but it is possible, but it comes from from prayer with thanksgiving. Now, prayer. Again, I'm, I'm not one who has knots on my knees from praying. I wish I was more that kind of person. I have knots on my knees from doing some surfing in my life, but that's not from praying. And I remember a time in my life, I was in my bedroom, and I was actually doing devotions, not that they were happening every day as much as I wanted, and I felt compelled to say to God, God, I want to um, give you two hours a day. You see, Billy Graham, I had read in a biography, gives God two hours a day. I went, if he can do it, I can do it. And then when I was at Princeton in grad school, there was a Korean guy who gave God 10% of his time. So that's even over two hours. I went, you know, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) I have way too much adult ADD. I'm not going to do the two hours thing. And so I went to one hour. This is my time with God. And I have a friend who does that. And I went, well, if she can do it, I can do it. And I went, you know, I'm not going to be able to do that. 30 minutes. I probably will fail there. I know I'm sounding spiritually wimpy, but I finally went to 20 minutes, and it was as if God said, that'd be wonderful to spend 20 minutes with you on a regular basis. And you know what? I made a commitment. I'm not saying I'm super spiritual, but I made a commitment to spend 20 minutes a day. There are days I miss, not many, and I'm not that disciplined of a person. But I would say that the anointing in my life in both ministry and my relationship with Kathy and my relationship with my girls comes from my time in those 20 minutes. I did it today. So it meant for me, I had to get up early. I'm on a two-hour time difference. So I got up early, and I just did it. I, I, I went through the one-year Bible. I write acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. When I was a youth pastor, I taught kids to do that. And you know what? That makes a difference for me. So prayer with thanksgiving equals joy. But what I want to focus on is what mainly my mom taught me because she was an incredibly thankful person. That scripture is a tough scripture that I said, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's a tough one. But then it even says, for this is God's will for you. Do you know that only a few times in the Bible does it say, this is God's will for you? Now, the Bible is God's will for us. It's how we live our life, how we do relationships. If you want to know how to handle money, if you want to handle, know how to handle uh, a marriage, if you want to handle how you handle your kids, it's actually in here and many other things. But the fascinating side is this says, this is God's will for you, neon lights, that in everything we would give thanks. And then it even says, uh, in Christ Jesus, okay? Now, fascinating enough for me, that's a tough one. Because I'm, I'm saying, what about my mom dying? I mean, I prayed for my mom to be healed. She had lung cancer. I prayed for her to be healed, and she died. You know, what about my brothers? I prayed for all of my brothers to, you know, figure it out. Prayed for, you know, the stuff going on in our ministry, and I expected money to fall from heaven. We're a nonprofit, and it didn't happen. And then as I looked at that scripture, I realized it doesn't say for, it says in. Well, in my mom's death, my mom was now with Jesus. She was in heaven. She was healed of her pain, and she was in a lot of pain. In my mom's death, interestingly enough, our family came together. In my mom's death, even before she died, she set it up that my dad would... Um, get to hang out with her best friend who had lost her husband for 50 years and they became married and that best friend was a Christian and my dad became a Christian. So in my mom's death, I could be thankful, but it was still hard to say, oh, thank you for mom's, you know, death. Now, fascinating enough, there's two types of people in this room and this is an oversimplification, I'll just tell you that right now. So I want you to walk up here. 
in your mind. Don't walk up in person, please. And there's a big piece of paper, and on this side it says grumbler and complainer. And on this side it says thankful, grateful person. Now you walk up and you put a mark where you are. Now if you're a thankful, grateful person, you probably experience more joy. If you're a grumbler and a complainer, despite whatever your circumstances are, if you're a grumbler and a complainer, then you're probably not a person of joy. And so what we want to do is learn from my mother, because she talked about this all the time, that actually this aspect of thankfulness has something to do with um, attitude. In fact, the first point under this, I would simply say, is that uh, thankfulness is an attitude. And let me say it this way. My friends, thankfulness transcends circumstances. It's always amazing to me that I'll meet people who have the same circumstance, and one does okay and one doesn't do okay. It's their response to the circumstance, and that's what my mom taught me. It's the response to your circumstance. You can be thankful in something that's terrible, and you can be thankful in something um, that's not as terrible, and you can be grumbling and complaining through that. It's a choice that you make, and it's actually a daily choice. Okay? In fact, people want folks who are standing up here to say this to you, that your circumstances can all change, but I'm going to say this to you. Your circumstance may not change. But your attitude can change, and that makes all the difference in the world. By the way, that's worth thinking through. Your circumstance may not change. I can't say that your circumstance is going to change. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. If it can, do it. Work on it. If it can't, accept it and change your attitude. See? Now, I'm one of these guys who complains about money. Anybody else in here with me? I complain about money. I never think I have enough money. I don't know what my problem is, okay? And uh, yet, the truth is, is that most every one of us in here are actually rich compared to the world. Well, not the truth. We are all rich compared to the world. So you take what I'm wearing. I'm not exactly the dress for success person, but if you take these shoes, these pants, this shirt, that's more than what the average person in Cuba makes in a year. And uh, we have a ministry in Cuba. And when I go to Cuba, I'm blown away by the contentment of people who make $16 a month. If you're a physician, you'd make $18 a month. But yet somehow they've accepted that. Now, I'm not saying that their government is the best style of government. I'm simply saying that the Christians that I know have figured out that they may not be able to change their circumstances right now, but they can change their attitude, and that makes all the difference in the world. Uh, I don't know if any of you are, uh, are uh, runners, but I ran one marathon. And I ran the LA Marathon. I came in 4,987. And my... Three daughters and my wife, so we have all women in our house, no hormones or drama, of course. Oh, man. Um, so they're standing at the finish line, and I finish it after, you know, other people are like, you know, go, they're, they're back at the hotel or they've, you know, gone home or whatever. And I finish it, and they are cheering me, and I come through, and they actually have a, you know, a deal that, you know, it's like the ribbon. So I break through the ribbon, and I looked at my family, and I said, I never want to do this again. And unlike some who want to do it again, I have not done that again. But there was a man named Terry Fox. Some of you may remember him. There was a movie about Terry Fox. And Terry Fox was 23, 24 years old. And he ran a marathon every day, six days a week. Seventh day, he rested. And what he did was he was running to raise money for the uh, Cancer Society of Canada. And he started on the east coast of Canada, although he's from the west coast, Vancouver, British Columbia. And he started on the east coast, and he would run. And, and, and they would put him every day in front of people because... 
the Cancer Society wanted to raise money. By the way, he raised 38 million Canadian dollars for cancer. Pretty incredible. And so he would run, and you might see him in a cornfield just finishing his 26-mile run with nobody around him. They'd stick a microphone in front of him, and he'd say the same thing all the time. He had sweat. He was tired. You could t- I mean, 26 miles every, every day. And he would say this. He would say, I don't know about tomorrow, but I know about today, and I'm glad God gave me today, and I'm going to live one day at a time. And then they would zero in on his fake leg because he had cancer and they'd cut off his leg right here and he had a, what he called his plastic fake leg. And there were even times when you would see it, and I was so, I was just enamored with him. And you'd see it raw. I mean, you knew he was running in pain. He'd run into the Coliseum that they have in Toronto with people cheering and, you know, the Cancer Society going crazy and, you know, in front of all these people. And he'd say, I don't know about tomorrow, but I know about today, and I'm glad God gave me today, and I'm going to live one day at a time. Well, he ran 2,200 miles, and the cancer came back, and so they had to airlift him back to Vancouver, British Columbia, where they gave him intense radiation, intense chemo, try to save this man. Now you see him in the hospital, and he has a medal on, because they've just given him the highest medal that a civilian could receive in the country of Canada, and they put a microphone in front of him. This time he has no hair on his body from the radiation and chemo. His lips are purple, ashen face, and really weak voice. Terry, congratulations. How are you doing? And he said, I don't know about tomorrow. And then he kind of smiled. And you could tell it took effort. And he said, but I know about today, and I'm glad God gave me today. And I'm going to live one day at a time. Terry Fox died three days later. But I'm convinced that that young man, 23, 24 years old, was better off and had a better attitude than many of us have with a lot, you know, easier circumstances, I guess is what I'm saying. My mom, I grew up with this, hardly ever thought about it until I started preparing for this message, but we had a sign in our kitchen that said, I complained because I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. And so that was my mom. She played the comparison game. And see, with finances, I play the comparison game with rich people, but I don't play the comparison game with all the other people who have a lot less money than me, and I'm so way up there on the ladder, you see. And so for a lot of us, what we tend to do is focus on the negative as as opposed to to the positive. And yet what God says, and Jesus said this in Matthew 6.34, Jesus said, don't be anxious about tomorrow. God will take care of your tomorrow, too. It's, It's putting trust in it. In the Living Bible, it adds, live one day at a time. Some of us need to live one minute at a time, one hour at a time when we're in uh, desperate need. What I want to say to some of you is life is too short to hold a grudge. I learned that from my mom. Life is too short to keep a house perfect. Moms, anybody say amen to that? Okay. Life's too short to let a day pass without hugging your loved ones. That was my mom's philosophy. Even if there were, was tension. Life's too short, in my opinion, to put off Bible study or to stay indoors on a beautiful day or even on a not-so-beautiful day. Life's too short to work at a job that you hate or live at a home that you can't afford the mortgage. You see, life's too short to settle for the mundane rather than the miraculous, and yet for many of us, even as Christ followers, we settle for the mundane rather than the miraculous. And so when we focus on the eternal, we're going to do much, much, much better. My mom had another phrase she used to say all the time, and my parents always called me Jimmy. I'm, as soon as I got out of the house, I didn't want to be Jimmy anymore. I was Jim. Um, but my mom would always would call me Jimmy, and she said, Jimmy, I want you to be a young man of responsibility. So, you know, when you say that, you know, responsibility. And then one time she explained it to me. She goes, I don't mean just responsibility. She, she said, you're pretty good at that. 
Not perfect, but you've got some work to do. But I want you to understand the word responsibility has two words in it, response and ability. And she said it's actually the ability to respond in a positive way toward negative circumstances. And I've never forgot that lesson that my mom learned because really what I realized is that a lot of what we talk about when we talk about thankfulness as an attitude is it's about discipline. By the way, the root word for discipline is disciple, same root word, okay? And one of the things that I've said, I've said it here before, is that there's pain in life, but it's either the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. And many people have the pain of regret because they don't or aren't willing to live by the pain of discipline, okay? So if you work out, you have the pain of discipline. That's a good thing, and, you know, this is the pain of regret right here. But there's a lot of us who have poor relationships, partly because we're not willing to intentionally, proactively, you know, move into that, and part of that has to do with our attitude, in my opinion. Martin Luther said, can't do anything about birds flying over my head, but I, by golly, can keep them from resting on my head and building a nest. You can't do anything about a lot of the stuff that throws at you, but don't build the nest with it. I have a friend named Henry Cloud. He wrote a best-selling book, sold four million copies, called Boundaries. And he said this phrase, I cannot blame them for what they do to me. I am responsible for how I respond. So attitude is everything, and it transcends circumstances. Thankfulness, and I learned this from my mom, is also a habit you know, you can have a bad habit, and it can take three weeks to form that habit. That's all it takes. And then another three weeks to solidify it, and you got a bad habit for life. But what about a good habit? What about the habit, if you happen to be a person who moved closer to the grumbling and complaining side, what about the habit of, of what I call thank therapy? I practice it every day, and I did it today. I did it yesterday. And so when I did it, I wrote down 20 reasons why I was thankful. This is your homework. Write down 20 reasons why you're thankful. My, my mother had this. My wife has this, too. And so, you know, I wrote down simply um, today. I wrote down my wife. It's, you know, Mother's Day. It's our anniversary tomorrow. Um, I wrote down my girls because they are going to come through, even if it's going to cost me hundreds of dollars if they go to Disneyland. Dear God, please, no. It's not, it hasn't rained in California for, you know, 40 years and 40 nights, but please, you know, don't, not Disneyland today. That's hundreds of dollars. Um, but I wrote down, thank you for my, my kids I, I thank God for this church. I thank God for Jim. He has incredible leadership. I have a pastor crush on Jim. I just think he does a great job, okay? Um, I thank God for uh, what you're experiencing incredible in, in, in terms of a, a great church. I thank God for my church, I, you know, on and on. And it's called thank therapy. And, and fascinating enough, what what I do with thank therapy is I sometimes challenge people to write down 20 reasons. So I was with our youth group at our church not too long ago, and um, I just said, okay, guys, we're going to write down 20 reasons why we're thankful. They were high schoolers. They groaned. If I would have said 20 complaints against your parents, no problem, okay? So they wrote down, and I, I took what they wrote. I was taking notes. Jesus Christ, um, their parents, and I asked them, have you thanked your parents uh, lately? And they went, no. I go, that's your homework. It'll shock you, plus you'll get a lunch out of the deal. Um, Church, they were thankful for church, our church. They were thankful for the beach. You know, we were at the beach, so they loved the beach. Thankful for the beach. United States of America, their health. One girl named Lisa, who's awkward. I mean, she's a neat kid, but she's kind of awkward. And um, she doesn't talk much, and, you know, she's not as pretty as some of the other people. I'm just admitting it. She stands up in front of these kids, and she has these big, th thick, Coke bottle-type glasses. 
And she stands up, and I go, what is this going to be? And she stands up, and she says, I'm thankful for these glasses. She said, I have hated, and she almost had like a bitter look on her face, ninth grade. I have hated these glasses since I was in second grade when I had to start wearing them. And then she put them on, but she, and she said, but I just realized that I wouldn't be able to see you, my friends, if I didn't have these glasses. I mean, I'm looking around at these kids who, in some ways, sometimes make fun of Lisa, and I went, wow, they're crying. And the reason was because they saw this girl who her circumstance hadn't changed, but her attitude had, and that made all the difference in the world. So practice thank therapy. I have a radio broadcast, and I was interviewing a woman named Johnny Erickson Tata, and there's a movie out on Johnny, and when she's about my age, and she dove in the Chesapeake when she was 17, and she uh, made, is now confined to a wheelchair, and uh, she has a tough life, chronic pain, um, chronic problems with her body, amazing that she's lived as long as she has. And I had all these notes because she had a new book out, and I was going to ask her about her book. And all of a sudden, I just threw the notes away, and she comes into our studio. And I said, Johnny, how do you maintain such a joyful spirit and radiant in the midst of your challenges? Now, this is radio, and she does a long pause. This is like a 45-second pause. You know, in radio, that's not a good thing, okay? And she does this long pause. And then she smiles, and she says to me, you know, Jim, I think I've disciplined myself for so many years to give thanks in all circumstances that it's become my reflex reaction. That was her answer. Her reflex reaction is being thankful in all circumstances. It's part of that discipline, but she practices thank therapy even in the midst of some trying times, and she's beautiful, and she's radiant, and she wouldn't want to trade her life for yours, and yet there have to be times when she goes, God, why didn't you answer my prayers and heal me? But it's her circumstances aren't easy, but she's figured them out. I practice this. Kathy and I, a while back, were at an incredible conference center called Mount Hermon, and we were speaking on parenting. Homeward, the organization I work for, is the largest provider of parenting seminars in the United States. Had one here a couple years ago. And it was beautiful. It was incredible. And, and it was just Kathy and me, and we'd speak, and we'd do some ministry, and then we're in what they call the Santa Cruz Mountains, so we're about six miles from the beach, but we're in the mountains, so we're getting the best of both worlds. We're taking a long walk. It's fantastic. Then we spend two days in a place called Carmel, California, which is one of the most gorgeous places in the universe. We got a hotel. We ate great food, incredible romance. We won't talk about that. Um, and it was great, incredible. Then we start driving down Highway 1, which is about my favorite drive. It's these cliffs looking down at the Pacific Ocean with, you know, some rocks and stuff in the water. It's beautiful. And, and we're having a great time, and Kathy is going, look at that. I think I see dolphins. You know, and, oh, I think that's the nudist beach and, you know, other, other things. Um, and I'm just, I mean, I did look at the nudist beach, but I couldn't see anything. Um, they looked like dolphins to me. But, <laughs> you know, we continue going down, and all of a sudden, we're having this amazing time, and she looks at me, and she goes, Jim, I, th I think you're getting a double chin. I mean, we have had so much romance, and she has the audacity in the middle of this. Timing is everything. Now, none of you are listening to me. You're all looking to see if I have a double chin. I get this, okay? <laughs> Quit it. I'd look in the mirror. It didn't look to me like I had a double chin. And so I get mad. And the way I get mad is I just pouted. So for the next 40 minutes, as she's going, oh, the beautiful dolphins. I think that's a bird. This is this. You know, all this. I'm like, I can't believe that she. I'm going to eat lettuce for the rest of my life. This is ridiculous. And how could she do this right after this incredible romance time? And then it was as if I heard God speak to me, and he said, practice what you've been learning. Practice thank therapy. 
And so I said, thank you, God, for Kathy. I've spent thousands of dollars with great romance, and now she, th and was, we went to an Italian restaurant, so it probably gained weight on my chin. <laughs> but thank you for Kathy. And then I couldn't do it with gritted teeth because she's one of the most amazing moms in the world. And I said, thank you for being, uh, for Kathy being such a great mom and a wonderful wife. And she puts up with so much with me. And, you know, the amount of sacrifice and unconditional love that she has shown me is close to what God shows me. And thank you for this and that. And, you know, I'm kind of, now I'm thanking him for the blue sky and for birds in the air. And all of a sudden, I realized that my circumstance still hadn't changed. She had told me I had a double chin. But, and please don't do this if you're a young person and you're, and you're just starting out driving. I honestly, I took my arm, put it around Kathy as I'm driving down this coast highway that goes like this, and I kissed her. And, and I was expecting her to turn and we were going to do this major lip thing. It was kind of like one of those weird, mushy kisses that, you know, I kind of missed her lips and kind of kissed her on the side. And she goes, whoa, what was that all about? And I said, hey, you know what, I'm really thankful for you. It's been a great week. And she goes, oh, I thought you were mad at me because I said the double chin thing. I said, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but my circumstance didn't change, but my attitude did. And what I'm saying is even re in relationships, that's practicing thank therapy. And lastly, and without apologies, <laughs> oh my goodness, Jesus Christ is the ultimate reason for our thankfulness. We have way too many people who come to church and grumble and complain, and yet we have forgotten that in Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Whoa, that's incredible. The closest I can understand of a love of God is the love of my mother. Now, my mom was put in hospice care. And I live in a place called Dana Point, and I work in a place called San Juan Capistrano, which is right next door to Dana Point. And my mom and dad lived in Seal Beach, and so I would drive every day of her hospice and just be with mom, and it was actually longer to drive than it was just to spend time with her, but I needed to be with her. And she was so strong, and it was so hard for me. And uh, she was fading. She had on morphine, kind of going down, and the hospice people said it's not gonna be much longer, and I had a problem, because I was gonna speak to 8,000 middle school and high school students at, the, uh, at Colorado State University, and it was like in a couple of days, and I had already called the head guy and said, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do this because my mom is dying, but do I have good news for you? Instead of me speaking, I've asked my friend Ken Davis, who's one of the greatest youth speakers in the world, to, um, to take my place. So if I can't do it, Ken says he can. He lived in Denver at the time. It's about an hour and 20 minutes up to Fort Collins, Colorado, where the university is. And my friend said, Jim, I'm so sorry to hear about your mom, and I surely understand, and we'll do whatever you need, and we will take Ken. However, we had Ken last time. We'd rather have you. So he didn't let me off. And uh, I went, okay. But pretty much I was checking out. I've never canceled a speaking uh, engagement. So the day before, I go to see my mom, and my mom is sitting up in bed watching television, and she says, well, Jimmy, I thought you were going to Colorado. I didn't want to say, well, Mom, I thought you were going to die. You know, what do you say? <laughs> so I went, um, whoa, you look great. And she goes, oh, I feel so good today. My dad walks in and goes, hey, I thought you were going to Colorado. You're going to go talk to those kids, right? And I went, I, again, I didn't want to say to him, well, what do you think? She's going to die? She's doing great today. I'm thinking of taking her out for ice cream. This is a woman in hospice. I'm thinking about taking her down to the pier. They lived in a place called Still Beach, Beach Town. I'm thinking about taking her to the pier and having ice cream. I'm like is going on here so Jim the optimistic person gets in my car I call Kathy and I go it's unbelievable my mom honestly she may be healed she's unbelievable she's doing so great 
Kathy, who is much more the realist, said, well, why don't we go by tomorrow? And you can pack, but you know, if she's fading tomorrow, then you know, we can make that decision. So we come back the next day. My mom is now not even in bed. She's sitting up in a chair, and she goes, well, Jimmy, Kathy, I thought, Jimmy, you were, weren't you going to Colorado? I said, well, I look at Kathy, and she's like, you know, I, I didn't want to do the same routine. My dad walks in. He goes, hey, what are you? Are you not going to Colorado because of your mom? Listen, you, and I know Jim would never say this word. You get your butt to Colorado, and then you come back and see us tomorrow. I went, okay. So I rush to the airport. I get on the plane. I speak to these 8,000 kids. It was phenomenal. I go out to, uh, to dinner with my friend Duffy, and I come back to the hotel. Little red light's on, and it's Kathy. Your mom died. I'm like, oh, man. So... I was supposed to speak at 10 the next day. I called that guy up and I said, I am so sorry, but I can't speak. At first I, th I said, I will. And then I went, I can't. You know, I, my, I lost this strength in my life. So I get on the first plane from Denver to Los Angeles and uh, I'm sitting on the plane and I'm kind of teary-eyed and I hadn't slept all night and I was a mess. And all of a sudden I thought to myself, what were the last words my mom said to me? Do you ever have those weird things where, you know, it didn't dawn on me. And all of a sudden I went, oh my God goodness. When we were getting ready to leave, because we were kind of in a hurry, my mom said, Jimmy, come here. She cut my face, and she said, Jimmy, I love you, and I am so proud of you. Wow. It's been years, and it still gets me. And I had forgotten that. I kissed her on the forehead, and I, I, went, I went to the plane. Now I'm sitting on this plane saying, whoa, my, God, my mom spoke words of blessing to me at the end of her life. And today, I, I have some of my mom's strength because she said those words. I almost wonder if she didn't know she was going to go and, you know, it was like, you get out of here, I'll say your blessing and go. But I want to say to you that moms, many of you moms, thank you. It's not the meals only. It's not the, you know, staying up at night. It's not the all the extra hours. It's that you have shown us God's love. My mom was a vessel of speaking God's love to me. I love you and I'm proud of you. Now, some of you, you didn't have a mom do that or maybe it's been a struggle. And what I want to say to you is, honestly, God cups your face and says to you, I love you and I'm proud of you. What's our response to a deep love and a pride from God? I think it's having a good attitude. Almighty God, thank you for these men and women. And thank you for moms. Probably the closest thing we ever see of your love, God, with hands and fingers and mouths, is our moms. And so today, Lord, as we think about our moms, but more than that, as we think about your love, we stand here and say we're thankful. And the ultimate reason for our thankfulness is because you hung on a cross and you died so that we could have hope and eternal life. And we're so grateful for that. Today we, we honor you, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. God bless. Thanks. Thank